Thanks, Hannah. Um, let me just pray as we come to reflect on that. Father God, thank you that you speak to us in your great love for us. Please help us uh, as we reflect on what you say in your word to know you better, um, to know ourselves uh, as we are, and to grow in our hope in the Lord Jesus. Amen. Great. Um, do flick back to page eight, uh, uh, back to Genesis, if you would, to this familiar story um, of Noah and the flood. Again, really good to see you all tonight. Um, and I wonder, I wonder, what do you picture when you think of Noah and the flood? Uh, I imagine for lots of us, we picture what's basically a nice children's story. There's Noah building the ark. He's awfully old. It's awfully big. Uh, the fluffy animals are coming to him, two by two. Uh, the, 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 the little badger, the puppy, the rabbit, the, the ducks, um, they all get along. It's very sweet. And then dawn comes the rain in torrents, drip, drop, drip, drop. The ark turns into a floating zoo, and they sail around until the waters go down, and they all get back out onto dry land. Maybe we picture something like that when we think of Noah and the flood. It's often how the story is pictured in uh, children's Bibles, children's songs. But tonight, there's a bit of me that's really glad I'm not teaching this story to children. I think it would be really hard to teach to children the story as it really is in God's Word, as it really happened because this is less like a nice children's story and more like a news story. The dreadful, deadly floods in Libya earlier this month. Remember? Remember the carnage? Torrential rain, terrifying floods, thousands of people dead. Well, that's the flavor of this story on an even bigger scale. See, the flood, Noah's flood, the flood is really a story about this, about God judging humanity. That's our subject tonight, God's judgment. And that is not a popular subject. This week, Hannah, my wife, and I started a, an antenatal class uh, ahead of our new baby, uh, and lots of expecting parents chatting, um, overeating biscuits together. I was not itching to get into a conversation about God's judgment. It is not a popular subject. Actually, some of us, when we talk about God's judgment, some of us might think, God wouldn't judge people. That's not the God I believe in, a God of judgment. I believe in a God of love. Years ago, I remember watching the Jeremy Kyle show. And that's quite a confession, isn't it? Um, watching Jeremy Kyle. If you don't know it, it was an incredibly trashy chat show. Um, and they didn't often do theology on Jeremy Kyle, but uh, I remember once this question came up of whether God would judge people. And one of the guests said, all I know is the Bible says God is love. And so, no, God won't judge people. Maybe that's roughly what you think. Um, every now and then, a, a church leader um, in the wider church comes out with something similar, and I think probably most people in our society would agree that if there is a God, he must be good, and so he won't judge. Well, three things for us to consider from this story. First, why would God judge? Secondly, what form would it take? 
And third, when is it that we're talking about? Let's start with why. And you'll understand that when we ask the why question, why someone would do something, we're asking about their motivations. What drives them? We're trying to get inside their heart. And so why would God judge? Is it that God is always in judgment mode? You know, some people just seem grumpy all the time, don't they? Always bad-tempered. Is God like that? Grumpy by nature, and he can't wish to dish out judgment, can't wait. Or is it, is it that God is petty? You might know that as well as this account in Genesis, there were other ancient stories of a big flood. And in those stories, the gods send a flood basically because humanity's just got on their nerves. There's too many of you, the gods complain. You're too loud, too rowdy. And so for trivial reasons like those, they send a flood to reduce the population and to reduce the volume. Is that why God judges? Because he's petty, just seeking any reason to do it? What's going on in his heart? Well, to see the answer, look at verse 5 of chapter 6. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he'd made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So, the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I've created. Ask the question, why does God judge? And Genesis says, it's because God cannot tolerate evil. Understand, it's not that he's always in judgment mode, bad-tempered by nature. But when he encounters evil from the outside, his response is intolerance. And whereas the pagan petty gods send a flood for any old reason, there are too many of you, you're too rowdy, the real God isn't like that. When he judges, his motivation is moral. It's evil that ticks him off. Verse 5, hearts full of evil desires, expressed, verse 11, in a world full of violence. 15-year-olds stabbed on their way home from school. Influencers, incredibly popular, who exploit vulnerable women. Bombings that kill dozens. That's the kind of thing God cannot stand. He sees it and he hates it. And I want to suggest that's a good thing, that God hates evil. I mean, imagine the alternatives, that there's no God to judge evil, just us doing stuff. And some stuff we disapprove of and some things we approve of, but there's no real good and no real evil. And there's no final justice for victims of injustice. If there's no God to hold people accountable, no one to say of murder and rape and abuse, this is evil and I won't stand it. Or maybe worse, imagine there is a God, but no judgment. A God who sees the evil in the world and he's relaxed about it, doesn't really care. A 15-year-old stabbed on the way home from school and he looks away, unconcerned. 
see a God who doesn't judge is not good. He'd be a monster. And the God of the Bible won't sweep evil under the rug like that. Maybe we feel a good God, a God of love, won't judge. But do we see faced with evil, with real evil, a good God must judge. If God is good, he must judge evil, mustn't he? And that's what God's judgment is, not bad temper or pettiness, but the overflow of his perfect goodness. Because God is completely good, he is completely opposed to evil. And his judgment is his good opposition to what is not good. So let me ask, if we don't want a God God who judges, could it be that we don't take evil as seriously as he does? Could it be we don't take our evil as seriously as he does? Because with the God, or with the flood, we see how seriously God takes evil, so seriously. It's like he decides it's time to hit the restart button. And that brings us, uh, secondly, to what God's judgment is like. Now, you might be thinking, it's pretty obvious from this story what form God's judgment takes. Uh, It's a flood, correct? But I want us to see that within Genesis, there's even more going on. Back in chapters 1 and 2, we get a rundown of how God created the world. Originally, God's creation was formless and empty, uh, covered by waters. And so, God brings form to the chaos. He restrains the waters, so dry land appears. He fills the world's emptiness with all kinds of creatures. And he breathed the breath of life into people and animals. That's what God does as creator. He forms, he fills, he breathes life. And he set it up with a special relationship at the very center of it all. God relating to us as our creator, next slide please, and us relating to God as his creatures. And final verse of chapter one, God saw it was very good. This is how God's world was meant to be. Well, time passes, and if you want to see the next time God saw since chapter one, just look at the screens, or look down at chapter six, verse 12. God saw how corrupt or ruined the earth had become for all the people that corrupted or ruined their ways. God's good creation is ruined. And that's because the relationship at the center of it all lies in ruins. Human creatures have rejected our creator. We've tried to be God in his world. Think next slide. That's what's happened. And so how does the creator respond? Well, once he formed dry land from the waters, but now he lets it return. Next slide, please. Once he filled his world with all kinds of creatures, now he wipes them away. Once he breathed life, now he snuffs it out until the whole thing is once again formless and empty, covered by the waters. 
In other words, do you see what God is doing when you put this next to Genesis 1 and 2? Do you see the massiveness of what's going on with the floods? God is decreating. God is undoing his creation. That's how he responds to human sin. Isn't that staggering? The creator uncreating. But scary as it is, there's a poetic justice to it. Because if we reverse the relationship between us and our creator, is it a surprise he begins reversing his work of creation? If we turn our backs on the giver of life, is it a surprise if he takes back his gift from us? See, the punishment fits the crime. That word in verse 12, God saw how corrupt or ruined the earth was because of people. It's the same Hebrew word uh, God uses in verse 13. I'm surely going to destroy or ruin them. Same word. I'm going to destroy the destroyers, ruin the ruiners. See, it's a bit like some people are given a beautiful home to enjoy just because the one giving it is generous. And what do they do? They absolutely trash the place, completely ruin it. Well, if that's their attitude to the home they've been given and the generosity of the one who's given it to them, that they'd ruin it, well, no surprise if the owner brings in the bulldozers to finish off what they've already started. So what is God's judgment like? Decreation. Which I think is meant to show us that sin is no small thing. Easy to get thinking like that. What's the problem with a little bit of sin? It's just a small thing. Well, sometimes we only realize how significant something is when, we, when we're shown what it leads to. You know, looking at your phone when you're driving seems like a small thing until you see the metal wreckage strewn across the road, the broken glass everywhere, the ambulance's blue lights flashing. Not a small thing after all. Well, see in the flood what sin leads to. Creation unraveling in judgment and realize it is no small thing. Finally, then, when is it we're talking about when we speak of God judging humanity? And again, it might seem obvious, the flood happened a long time ago in the past. That is right. And it's worth noticing in this account all the days and dates. Uh, not so much, so we try to figure out exactly when it happened, but so we see this is real history. It's not just a metaphor, not just a story. But even more than that, the New Testament would say this past event is ultimately a preview for the future. And as big as the flood seemed, it is only a picture of the much bigger day when God will hold all humanity fully to account. And I get if that sounds far-fetched. You know, we live in a, a nice, sunny city uh, with busy, busy lives. Maybe you were busy with Connect Home this afternoon, busy with church now, busy later tonight getting ready for the week ahead, then back into work on Monday uh, or school. Oh, there's that wedding coming up at the weekend uh, and the doctor's appointment I've got. And then seeing those friends 
in a few days' time, never mind Christmas to get ready for. I mean, things just keep going day after day. God judging humanity doesn't seem very real. And you can imagine the people of Noah's day getting on with their lives. Got that work to do tomorrow. Uh, those people to see on Tuesday, that wedding at the weekend. Things just keep going, they feel, day after day. And all the while, some old fool is building an ark. And then one day, the rain starts falling. And by the end of that day, they're confused that it's still raining. And by the end of the next day, they're getting worried. And by the end of the week, they wonder if they'll see tomorrow. God is patient. He does not rush to judgment. He gives us chance after chance to turn back to him. But his patience isn't forever. He promises to judge humanity, and he will, just as he promised Noah the flood would come, and it did. And so facing judgment, the burning question for people like us is, is there hope? Because the evil God must judge isn't just out there, it's in here. When we said confession earlier, we weren't pretending. Judgment should be the end for us. Is there hope? Well, more briefly, here's the hope. One righteous man. We're not told much about Noah, are we? About the only thing we are told is that he obeys God's commands and he's righteous. 6 verse 9, see that? Noah singled out as a righteous man. 7 verse 1, why does God choose Noah for the ark? Because he's found Noah to be righteous. And I guess it doesn't surprise us that God would choose someone righteous to be spared from his judgment. But here's something interesting. We're never told about the other people spared with Noah whether they were righteous. In fact, in 7 verse 1, where God tells Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, for I found you righteous, the you there isn't plural, it's singular. Not, I found you all righteous, but I found you righteous, Noah. Isn't that interesting? See, Noah is a righteous man. And the only reason anyone else is saved isn't for their righteousness, but because they're with one who is, because they're linked up to him. 8 verse 1, the big turning point, God remembered Noah and the animals that were with him or on the screens. 8 verse 15, finally the flood was over and literally it goes like this. God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you. So Noah went out and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. See, what matters about these people? That they're with Noah. They've got into the ark and they've got out again because they're connected to him. In other words, go find them as they once again enjoy warm sunshine on their faces and feel the cool, dry earth underneath their feet 
and breathe in fresh air. Go find them and ask them, why is it that you're here instead of being drowned in judgment with everyone else? And they'd point to Noah and say, because I'm with him. And friends, it's the same for us. What is our hope in judgment? It's being with the one righteous man. Noah wasn't actually perfect, but he points us to one who is, the Lord Jesus, the one truly righteous man who stepped into our evil world, who let himself be drowned in judgment on the cross, suffered the judgment we deserve so we don't have to, and who's risen as the righteous one. And if unrighteous people like us put our trust in him, get connected up to him by faith, build our lives on him, then we'll be safe when judgment comes. So know this, church family. Talking about judgment can be scary in all sorts of ways. We know the evil in our hearts and what we deserve. But if you are trusting in Jesus, if you're with him, then you're safe. In the deepest sense of the word, you are safe. Safer than the animals in Noah's ark. There's nothing more frightening than the judgment of God. But if you're with Jesus, then even judgment day holds no fear for you. I hope you know that. He's the safest place to be with him. And if you're not with Jesus, or you're not sure where you stand with him, then, well, he will not turn away anyone who comes to him for help. That's why he came. If you want to think more about the hope Jesus offers, then come to Hope Explored this Tuesday. God is good, and so faced with evil, he must judge. But God is so good that faced with evil people, he makes a way to save us through his one righteous man. Let's be quiet for a little bit, and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Let's pray. Oh, Father, um, weighty things in your word that you speak to us here, but we thank you that you're good, that you are fully opposed to evil in your perfect goodness, And knowing the evil in us, we thank you, you're so good that you've sent, that you've come uh, in your son as the one righteous man to bear judgment in our place uh, and in whom we can be connected up to by faith. Thank you for him. Help us, Lord, to know your goodness in judgment and in salvation and to hope in Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, we started our time. We started our time by singing. If you remember those words, uh, "Grace has reached down to rescue me," and we're going to finish by singing, "Grace is awaiting me." That's what it is to be joined to the one righteous man. Grace reaching down to rescue us. Grace awaiting us, hedged in by God's good grace. So let's stand and encourage one another by singing together. Let's stand and sing.